Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the chapter we read, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 and verse 17, the last verse and the last half of the verse. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The whole verse reads, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shalt thou condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. In these chapters in Isaiah, we have the prophecy of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially we have in chapter 53, his sufferings, his death, so very clearly set forth. In verse, in chapter 54, where we are, we have the church of God established upon those blessings that Christ uh, hath purchased upon Calvary. And then we have the wonderful proclamations of the gospel as the prophecy goes on in chapter 55. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It is these chapters that are most blessed in pointing and seeing the fulfilment in our Lord Jesus Christ and what has been accomplished by him at Calvary and the blessings that the Church of God has at this time. I've just read for our text the last part of this verse. I believe that this heritage of the servants of the Lord applies not just to the former part of the verse, but all that is written in this chapter, and really all that flows out of uh, the... Lord Jesus Christ coming and what he's accomplished for his people. Sometimes we would think of heritage and inheritance as being very similar. They are both things that come to us from someone that we have a connection with and it is after their death. We think of receiving an inheritance from someone that dies, usually it is some land or some money, and as far as we are concerned, it has come to us from one or two steps or so. Uh, and But when we think of heritage, uh, perhaps an example would be in this land where we have not only national trust, but we have English heritage. And they look back to years gone by, a heritage in buildings and a heritage that has built the nation in various laws, its history. Uh, you can go to uh, see uh, uh, where the uh, various things happened. The laws were made in this country and it is something that has gradually shaped our nation and made it to be what it, what it is today. So in one sense, the heritage is something that is passed down over many years, not so much in uh, buildings or wealth, but spiritually, morally, uh, in many ways that shape us. Uh, the society we live in didn't just begin yesterday. Uh, what The things that we and affect us today have been shaped by hundreds of years or a thousand years before. And if that can be said in the way of materialistic things and the world things, then surely it is, and it is in the way of our text, that there is a heritage 
the the Lord's people have. Now I know some of you might think, well, there's a book that uh, Gerald Buss partly authored, A Goodly Heritage, and it is our articles of faith explained, and he's added on like the creation articles and Sabbath day, uh, and he's looking back to what we are in our churches today is being shaped by history in the past and in one sense a heritage uh, we're in the buildings that uh, our forefathers uh, have bought or left to us uh, we have doctrines that have been uh, formulated years ago and we have if we go outside of our denomination we have the confessions the Baptist and Westminster confessions and they're ancient confessions that are passed down to us. But what we have here is looking back further than that, going right back to our Lord Jesus Christ, his sufferings, his death, and what it is that he then has done that has left a heritage that carries on right through the church, right through to the end. Now, the word of God, of course, is is very clear about uh, an inheritance. Paul Peter speaks about it, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. And those that are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And he's pointing very clearly to heaven, an inheritance in heaven for you. The psalm that we read, Psalm 16, uh, actually joins together, uh, the two together in two verses, verses 5 and 6. David says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. So he is saying, that he has an inheritance, but he also has a goodly heritage as well. And so the what the Lord has purchased for his people, that is one aspect. Uh, we know of that which is very prominent in the Old Testament. As the children of Israel went into Canaan, that was to be their inheritance given to Abraham, though Abraham never possessed it, and that land was given to them by lot. The Lord decided what part of Canaan each one should have. And they had to be very careful in maintaining those individual inheritances in the lot. And I think it was the daughters, uh, Zalofa had, uh, they had to only marry within their own tribe. If they didn't, if they married in another tribe, uh, because they were given an inheritance because uh, he had no sons, no daughters, then their inheritance would move from one tribe to another. So to get round that, they only had to marry in their one tribe. And so in the types of the Old Testament and in Canaan, the inheritances were very carefully guarded. You think of the history of Ruth, Boaz, uh, the teaching that if a woman died or a husband died and left his wife widow without children, then his brother had to take her and raise up seed upon his inheritance. And that is how it was that Boaz, who was a near kinsman, that he was able to perform that part with Ruth and marry her. And so all along there is a lot of teaching that is relative to inheritance in a natural way with Israel. And this is taken up then in the New Testament very clearly pointing to heaven. But our text, the subject more this evening is not heaven, it's not the inheritance above, it's an, the heritage of the Lord's people as they walk here below. So I want to look firstly at the servants of the Lord, um, 
text it says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord who are the servants of the Lord and then secondly their heritage this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord it's very clearly stated here so what is that heritage and then thirdly their righteousness this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me saith the Lord the servants of the Lord we're not of course to suddenly think well this only relates to ministers this is only relating to the Lord's servants no all of God's called and saved people are to be servants of the Lord. By nature we are servants of self and we are servants of Satan. And Paul in Romans 6 he says, To whom ye yield obedience to them, uh, ye are their servants, to whom ye obey, whether sin unto unrighteousness or whether uh, of the law unto righteousness, ye are those servants to whom ye obey. And so all of those that God calls out of nature's darkness and into his marvellous light are called to be the servants of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, and we know of course he was called to be an apostle. But when the Lord called him by grace, his first word was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He would be, instead of his own servant, his own master, he desired to be a servant of the Lord. Our Lord himself was spoken of as my servant and mine elect. And it is a title that he was not ashamed to be called. And he did his father's will and his father's bidding. And the people of God should not be ashamed either to be found the servants of the true and living God. Of course, in one place, the Lord gives an even greater title. The servant knoweth what, not what his master doeth, but I have called you friends. If you do whatever I command you, ye are my friends indeed. But the illustration of servant still does apply. And as we walk through this world, who, who are we serving? Who are we giving our time to, our money to, our affections to, our allegiance to? Who is our master? Who is the one that we are truly serving him? And the word of God is very clear for his people. They serve him. This people have I formed for myself they shall show forth my praise. And where the Lord would uh, call a people, he uses them in many, many different ways. You think of the servant girl. She was a servant girl, literally, from Israel, captive by the Syrians, Naaman, the master, the mistress, and serving her, she says, Oh, that my master were with the prophet that is in Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. And just the simple utterance of that young girl was the means of Naaman going to Israel and being cured. A step in the chain the Lord has his servants everywhere. She was unashamed to speak up and to own the true God of Israel. And every one of God's people should be that. I think it is a very sad thing if there are those that feel, well, all I need to be is just converted and baptised and I can come in and out to the services of the house of God I sit on church meetings and round the Lord's table and that's all the Lord would have me to do at all 
It should be our desire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In the most simplest way, the Lord choosing, like with that servant girl, how he would use his people. And of course we have it with the Lord's servants, those of us in the ministry, even if you were to look round our own denomination, we're called to minister in very, very different circumstances. Some of us very small churches, some large churches, some in the country, some in the city, some itinerant ministers. It is very different. Who chooses what one will do? It is the Lord that makes that choice, not man. And it's a blessed thing where we see the will of a church and the will of his servants brought together and pastors appointed and settled over a people. But we should always remember that we all serve the Lord and do his bidding and seek to do his will and do that which is glorifying to him. What would it be if you had an employer and he had an overall plan that he didn't divulge to all of his employees, but ask one to do this and one to do that, but then one after another they came and said, I don't like the task appointed for me, it's too manual. I'd rather do this. And all the time he was trying to fend off these who wanted to do their own way, but they didn't know the overall plan at all. But the owner and the employer did. And we don't know God's plan. We don't know his his purpose or what he is working out. But we know that he controls all things and all things are in his power. And who is he that saith? And it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not. And it is a blessed thing where there is that desire. What wilt thou have me to do? And each member of a church, a community, is seeking that in some way that they'd have their ear open to know what the Lord would have them to do. The Lord's servants, the Lord's servants here, those that he has redeemed, those whom he has walked out that in Isaiah 53, those whom he has suffered, bled and died for, those that he has redeemed and those that he has called. Parents, native place and time, all appointed were by him and he's appointed that as well. And as they are brought then into this world, he that fixed my first and second birth, he appoints when that shall be. And all that they are appointed to walk through. You know, the Lord said to dear Peter, and you know, more than once, first he said to him of what Satan would do. Satan hath desired to have thee, to sift thee as wheat, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he's telling him what shall happen, what Satan is desiring, that he shall be restored when, not if thou art, when thou art converted. And the thing that he was to do as his servant was to strengthen the brethren after he'd been through Satan's sieve and after those trials, he had a task, a ministry to do and you read in the epistles of Peter how that that comes out even just in that which is part of the inspired word of God. Peter's trials, Peter's afflictions, Peter's sieve was used for the good of the church of God. He didn't just bury what had happened. It had to come out to help the people of God. And then later on when the Lord rose again, he said to Peter, uh, when thou art old, Another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. By this signifying by what death he should glorify God. Many mistook what the Lord would have him to do. Uh, Especially John when uh, Peter then turned, what will this man do? If he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. 
It went there saying that the disciple John should not die, but the Lord never said that. It's not very safe often to judge what another should do, but the Lord will make sure that if we are to be a servant in a particular matter, he'll make sure what we should do. And it's a good thing in that way not to consult or to be deferred away from it by others. The Apostle Paul, when he was converted, Ananias, it was told, I will show him what great things he shall suffer for my name's sake. The Lord knew what his role would be and how he would be a servant. One of the great things that marked out the, shall we say, the success of the Apostle Paul's ministry, he says, I count not my life dear unto me. And so he spake the truth. And I've often thought that, where if we are called to speak, how many times we would think, before we open our mouth, what are the consequences? Especially today, if I open my mouth, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my reputation. The Apostle Paul, he went forth and he says, I count not my life dear unto me. If I speak these things, if if they take away my life, I've been faithful. I've done that which is right. You know, years ago, I think it was 2011, we had special Bibles that TBS printed, the red ones. There's one particular school I brought 101 Bibles in for the whole school. And we, I gave two assemblies and then afterwards went to the staff room, spoke to all the staff and then also went to the RE where the RE teacher was teaching the students. And in her room she showed me all what she was teaching them and it would just be like one of our uh, a Sunday school uh, uh, class all of it, the uh, pictures of the parables, in fact that school, they took class sets of all Mr. Ansbottom's books from us as parables and miracles. They had the lot in class sets. But that lady, she was a member of a church, not one of our churches, in Tenterton, and she said to me, she said, I am past retiring age. She said, they can sack me if they like, but she says, I'm teaching the children the truth. And the fact, in a way, that she got nothing to lose in that way, it made her bold to stand and to really teach those children the truth. It was lovely to see. And may we be the same, not counting our lives. We're to serve the Lord, not thinking, well, What's the cost going to be? What is man going to do? What are they going to react to? What about my family? What about my uh, relatives and those round about us? How will they react? Well, the Lord has said that he will have servants. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. It's a great, great privilege to be called by God's grace to be counted amongst his redeemed family. And it's a great privilege to be like the mad Gadarene, who when he wanted just to follow the Lord, the Lord said, no, you go home to your friends and tell what great things God has done for thee and had mercy upon thee. And that's what the Lord would have him, serve him in. I want to look then secondly at their heritage. The servants of the Lord's heritage. I want to look at it first as by nature. What is our heritage by nature? Our heritage goes back from Adam. And what flows forth from Adam is sin and death and the curse and all the sorrows and bitterness that is in this world. Spiritual death leading to natural death, the second death and the judgment to come. 
That is our heritage by nature. That's what flows out. Using the illustration we had before, you can look back to English heritage. There's been things lately in the news or so of going back and, oh dear, we've got slavery and we've got things we don't like and things that are shaping our nation that uh, we're ashamed of. Well, you know, one said to my father once, he said, I'm trying to trace, trace my family roots back. He said, I'm trying to get, can you give me some help in, in the family tree? Dad said to him, well, he said, if you do really, really well, he said, the best you'll do is get right back to fallen Adam. That's what you do. And that's a solemn reality. We all come forth from Adam. And you know in Job, Job knew, Job knew that his Redeemer liveth. He also knew the promise of the Saviour was through the seed of the woman. And so he says, but how can a clean thing come out of an unclean? It was something that he knew the promise but he couldn't see how God would work it out. We know how, that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. But Job couldn't reconcile it or work it out. You think of Solomon when he dedicated the temple. He said, heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, much less this house that I have builded, but will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? He struggled with how God would do this. God manifest in the flesh. In gospel days we have what the Old Testament saints, by faith they believe God would do it, but they wrestle with how he would actually do it. But when we think of going back, we go back to the fall, and we go back to sin, entering into the world and death by sin, the realisation that everyone that is born into this world is already under the sentence of death. There's no use trying to take the law and obey it and think that we'll get to heaven by that. We're already guilty. It's like saying to one that is just being held guilty in a court of law and that they've got a life term in prison and saying to look, if he was but let go, he can do some good works. Uh, and, uh, and you can take away this sentence. And they'd say that the sentence is already passed. It's on what has been done. And that is the same for us. The sentence is already passed. Right at the womb, we're under condemnation. We're already dead. The law was given, not that we would live by the law, but that all the world might be brought in guilty before God. By the deeds of the law shall no man be made righteous. Paul is very, very clear of this in his epistle. The role of the law is to completely convince us of our fall, of our sentence of death, that there is no way of redemption that way at all. And that's why he said the law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. It is used. He says of the law, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He could not obey the law, he could not keep the law, the good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And the law is righteous and holy and just and our Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world born under the law and made of a woman he showed it was righteous and just. Men today would say it's unjust no one could ever keep the law they did, our Lord Jesus Christ did perfectly sinless, spotless you say how do you know because he rose from the dead if he was not perfect and pure and sin had any claim upon him, he would never have risen from the dead. God hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Pilate says, I find no cause of death in him, and there was no cause of death in him, in himself, 
that he knew for whom he was dying, for whom he would lay down his precious life and sin atoning blood. But our heritage, going back to Adam, is nothing but sin and disgrace. And that comes out, and it comes out, you might say, even in the elect, even in God's children. They have their old nature that is still the same. We're sinners. And really only the Lord's people, only his servants, really know what sin is. Really know what it is to mourn over it and to grieve over it and to know the power of it. Be ungodly and those who are dead in sins, they don't know. They might know it in name. They don't know it in the experience of it. But God's children do. The most holy, godly and righteous of God's children, they know sin more than anyone else. It grieves them and they mourn over it. And they long for that time. And they shall be brought to heaven where there shall be no more sin and no more sorrow. And they can serve the Lord perfectly. But here below they've got that constant opposition. So that's that by nature. That's our heritage by nature. As flowing from the first Adam, what is it that flows from the second Adam? The Lord Jesus Christ. What heritage comes through him. But the way it's set forth here and in this passage, perhaps you could put it simply in this way, it is turning the curse into a blessing. In the day of Queen Esther, the law had been made that upon a certain day, all the Jews would be killed. The law of Medes and Persians, that law could not be changed. That day was set. That sentence still had to be carried out. But another law could be made to counter it. To turn that day that was a day of great sorrow and distress into a day of joy. Why? because they had on the king's authority to be able to stand against all that would rise against them. And you see what joy and gladness was in that that nation. And you hear what our Lord says. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Hear the words of our Lord. In me ye shall have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The world is still there. Satan is still there. Sin is still there. But in the Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with sin on Calvary. He has put away the sins of his people from start to finish. That debt is completely atoned for, paid. And the Lord then will use his authority and his power for his people so that those things that come against them as their heritage in Adam are actually turned about for good and the heritage of God's people in the Lord Jesus Christ is and you might say we could summarize it up in the whole verse that's our text No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment shalt thou condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And we have this right through the the chapter here. In the first part we have the church enlarging the place of her tent. We have the people of God. And from verse 4, 
delivered from afflictions and from troubles and from trials and those things that are then working for good. This is the waters of Noah unto man. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. And the Lord is speaking of kindness and mercy. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colours and lay thy foundations with sapphires. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, great shall be the peace of thy children. One verse that is made very precious to me in my early days was this, thy teachers shall not be removed into a corner anymore, thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And I trust I've seen it in many afflictions, in many chastings, in many crosses, in many things that have been brought against me from the world and the church. This is the heritage of God's people. It is what the children of Israel proved as they went through the wilderness. And Balak, he says to Balaam, you come and you curse the people of God. But God turned that curse into a blessing. We find it with Joseph saying to his brothers, ye meant it for evil, God meant it for good, to save your lives by a great deliverance. What does the Lord say when he sends out his servants? In the beginning of the gospel, when they persecute you from one city, then go to the next city. That is how the word should be spread forth in a gospel day. You see how it was. Paul persecuted, thrown into prison at midnight. He and Silas, they pray, they sing psalms. And there's an earthquake and the jailer is going to kill himself and Paul cries out, see that thou do thyself no harm. And he comes in and Paul speaks to him and all his house and they are brought to believe and be baptised. The Lord turning about, the casting into prison, that trial, they, they were beaten with whips, it wasn't a nice plain easy path but God used it for good and turned it about for good. The disciples say, or the apostles they confirmed the disciples saying he must through much tribulation enter the kingdom that is the secret that is the heritage of God's children he says I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil that flows forth as the heritage of God's children not the inheritance in heaven that is waiting for them but that which is flowing forth from Christ and through the apostles and through the church, through the martyrs, through the Waldensians, through those who have suffered and laid down their lives and yet how many times it says the church has been built up on the blood of the martyrs of those who counted not their lives dear unto them because they would serve the Lord and yet they knew that they had a greater crown, a greater glory that was in heaven. And so this heritage for the people of God, it is a heritage that takes that persecution and takes afflictions and takes the trials and makes them and makes them work for good. You know, and I thought very uh, suitable uh, hymn that we've just sung and in Romans 8, you know, we have those beautiful words there. Uh, we know that all things, in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things, all afflictions, all trials, the heritage of the Lord's people is that the Lord will turn them for a blessing. They'll be sanctified. They'll work together for good. 
And what is so emphasised in Romans 8 is that sin, and, and maybe those of you here, many of us who know the Lord, we fear sin more than anything else. We think sin will be that which will destroy us, it will rise up, will overcome us. But the Lord has dealt with that at Calvary. And yes, it's right, we should mourn over our sins and confess them and beg them before the Lord. He put them away afresh, as it were, in our consciences. Poor Peter, uh, David rather, I have sinned and he had to be brought to repentance. But this Romans 8 where it speaks of the love of Christ and that love, he says in verse 37, knowing all these things, and he listed out, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? You say, what a, what a heritage, if this is the people of God, they've just got a heritage of all these things against them. But no, that's not the heritage, that comes through a fallen world and through sin. The heritage is, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter, knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors, what does that mean? Not only shall those things not take away the love of God from us, they shall actually work for good. There shall be a profit in them. The Lord will use them for his advantage. More than conquerors, not just conquerors. And so he says that I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The more than conquerors is through him that loved us. And it's a blessed token, you know, for the people of God, when they have a sickness, an affliction, and a trial, and you might have it contrasted, you might see someone else have it, and they fall under it, it crushes them, destroys their faith, the trial of your faith, much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, shall be found unto praise and honour and glory at that last day. Grace, though the smallest must surely be tried, says the hymn writer. It is the very love of God that we might think, well, how can a loving God, and this is what the world says, how can a loving God allow this and this and this? These trials and these things that happen in the world and happen in your life. They come from a fallen world, our inheritance in Adam. But a loving God turns those things for good and makes them his servants for the good of his people and his people go through them. The Apostle Paul, he wanted to get out at one stage of that thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. But the Lord said, No, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul had to see, as a servant, part of that being as a servant, nevertheless not thy will, my will, but thy will be done. And that those things that Lord calls us to pass from through, we serve him in them, and he makes those things work for our good. They crucify us to the world and to self. Give us some fellowship with the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Bring us to walk that path. Here below there is a heritage that flows forth from the Lord. Flows forth from him who has dealt with sin. And that's why in that Romans... You don't read in that long list who shall separate us and sin is not there. Because the beginning of the chapter there is therefore now no condemnation that are in Christ Jesus. Sin is dealt with. Don't ever think if sin is not dealt with in my soul 
that this is why all these trials and these troubles and afflictions are coming because I'm not really saved and the Lord hasn't washed and cleansed me with his precious blood. No. The Lord says this is not your rest. It is polluted. This is not where we are suspended eternity. That inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled faded not away that is inherent in heaven. And so may we be clear on the heritage of the people of God is not a heritage of escaping the cross or escaping trouble and finding out some other way but it's a heritage of having that curse turned to a blessing and the Lord with us in the trials and in the fires him 758, I am with the Israel passing through the fire. And we can go back to that long line of cloud of witnesses. There have been sinners like you and I that have had their afflictions and trials and persecutions and how the Lord has appeared for them, delivered them and helped them. As I day, so shall thy strength be. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. What a blessing, what promises there are to the people of God. Underneath are the everlasting arms to bear up and to bear strength. May we have a view to the heritage of the saints of the Lord, not as escaping the cross, but glorifying the Lord in it. And bearing up the apostle, he says, Therefore will I glory in my infirmities. When I am weak, then am I strong. He was taking those very same things a moment ago he was trying to get out of, and now he's saying he's glorying in them, that the grace of God might be magnified in me. That is that which is passed down, as it were, from generation to generation of the people of God and will be until they are brought, each one of them, safe above. But then let us come to our third point because our third point says, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. When we have that expectation of the inheritance above, What an assurance to have as to how we will stand there. Because if you're like me and you look at all your lives and you look even at how you bear up under afflictions, you see many things you're very ashamed of. You can never go before the Lord and say, Look, I've done so well. I've been such a good servant. I've been so helped. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And our works after conversion are fruits of grace and they're not that which merits us heaven. None of the servants are ministers of the Lord. We cannot look upon any success or blessing on our ministry and say, Lord, because of this we must be one of thy children, we must be brought to heaven. We rely solely upon the grace of God, the mercy of God, the precious blood of Christ, upon a personal call the same as you all do, if you're in Christ Jesus. But the assurance here, the righteousness that a believer has, the servants of the Lord's has, is not their own by nature, it is imputed to them by Christ. His life, his obedience is made ours. As if we lived the life that he lived and we shall stand faultless then before the throne which we can never do in any deeds that we have done. Thou art all pure, my love, there is no spot in thee. The language of Song of Solomon, I am black but comely. Black in ourselves, comely in Christ. Our inheritance, our heritage in Adam is but sin and blackness, but in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. 
and then shall appear before the throne without shame, without fault, spotless. That is the heritage of the people of God. Here below their path is of sorrow and grief and afflicted. You think of some of the hymns, poor and afflicted, Lord are thine among the great unfit to shine. You think of the language of the church of God in all its afflictions and tribulation, but their glorious hope is to stand at last before God in that faultless, spotless, seamless robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a clear statement. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And you may say, for sometimes the Lord's people are counted righteous here below. They are designated that. And even that righteousness is of him in that they do bear up in afflictions. He does give them grace. He does give them strength. He does give them that spiritual armour. They fight and win the well-fought day. They achieve that which the Lord would have them to do here below, leaning on him, depending upon him, united to that living vine. And in all of those trials they get a token Their righteousness is of me. We know what it is to have the curse turned into a blessing. The Lord making that for our spiritual good and profit, which naturally speaking would destroy us. But he makes us more than conquerors. Well, may the Lord bless us with being in this word, know something of the heritage of the servants of the Lord and evidence that we are, and to be assured of this, that our righteousness is of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, saith the Lord.